All right. Well, as you guys are finishing up getting your food, I'm going to pray. Um, this, this month is on ethics. You guys have... Um, last week was Easter. How many of you guys were here for Sunday school on Easter Sunday? Okay. I'm going to go with 56% of you guys. Um, okay. So Joe has been talking about uh, major moral and ethical uh, issues and dilemmas. Um, he, he is brilliant at, well, basically everything. And so as opposed to kind of doing the same sort of thing and choosing um, a subject like euthanasia or abortion or anything like that, uh, I'm going to stay away from those things and Joe can dive into that. And I'm going to talk about more um, personal moral decisions and personal ethical issues. Um, so tonight, today's title is called Snakes and Doves. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for warmth and sunshine after months of bitter cold and snow. God, we want it to be springtime and summer again. And God, we want it to be springtime and summer in our own hearts. So God, we just ask right now today, forgetting the fact that we've, what we've come from this past week, and forgetting the fact that even that we're coming to sit during Sunday school, God, our hearts cry is that you would stir us up. That you would pour out your Spirit upon us. That, that just like the song says, I want to see you once again. God, we want to reach out and touch you and see you once again. We want you to return into our lives like, like maybe you have in the past or like maybe you never have before. So God, make the Bible come alive to us. Open up our hearts. Unlock our minds, just like you unlocked the minds of the disciples so that they could understand what the Scripture said about you. So God, we give you this next 45 minutes or so and say, God, take us to a place spiritually and individually in each of our hearts that we would understand just one truth. We give, you, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the title is, of this message is Snakes and Doves. I want you guys to turn to Matthew ten, sixteen, with me. Is there? Okay, Matthew ten sixteen says this. Jesus is talking to, he's sending out the 72 that he sent out basically missionaries. Um, within that were the 12 disciples, but total he sent out 72. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. It's kind of, kind of, a statement with double meaning. It's a statement that, that maybe the disciples thought about it. Um, maybe some of them didn't, but for sure Matthew thought about it. Matthew, you see, was a tax collector. So he knew a little something about being shrewd. But this is Jesus talking and sending out missionaries. So he's telling missionaries to be shrewd. We don't generally think of missionaries as shrewd people. 
The world doesn't generally think of missionaries as shrewd or even educated people. But Jesus is sending out his first group of missionaries and saying, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. The one thing we know about about snakes and kind of um, the context of the Bible in Genesis, obviously, the devil took on the form of a serpent in the garden. Well, he was so shrewd that the snake sold a piece of fruit to those two people who were the caretakers of the garden. That's, that's shrewd. That's, we, we, have, we have statements like, oh, you could, you, could, um, sell, you could sell a popsicle to an Eskimo. You know, like, that's, that's being a salesman. You, if you sell something to somebody that they don't really need or they don't really believe in, you're a good salesman. You're a shrewd salesman. So the snake... The Adam and Eve have the whole garden to work, to work in, to eat of, to partake of. And, and the snake is able to basically sell them at the cost of everything. One piece of fruit. When they were owners of the entire garden, the snake was so shrewd that he sold a piece of fruit to Adam and Eve who owned the whole garden. That's, that's kind of a definition of the word shrewd. That's... That's an amazing feat. If you had a garden that you took care of day in and day out, and it was, say, bigger than your backyard at least, and somebody walks into your garden, takes a piece of fruit off of the tree that you had planted years ago, that you had watered, that you had pruned, that you had taken care of, and then sold it to you, you're either really stupid or they're the best salesman in the world, right? They're being very shrewd. Jesus is telling us to be shrewd, to be as shrewd as serpents. And I think that he's only looking back to the one serpent, that, that there was something about Satan that we're supposed to be just like Jesus. And then Jesus tells us, yeah, but you should be just a little bit like Satan. Never heard that before. Right? But that's, that's Jesus, and this is the Bible in Matthew 10, 16. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now I'm in trouble. You guys are looking at me like, where's Joe? <laughs> <laughs> he also says, be as innocent as doves. You guys know from uh, listening to me a couple times that... that um, I'm married, and I have, I have two kids. My wife and I have been married for five years. We have Noah, who's just over two years old, and Kaylee, who is seven months old. And Noah, when Noah's the first grandchild on my side of the family, so all that means is that my, my mom, Noah's grandma, goes absolutely crazy over him and just gives him so many gifts and, and tells, tells her friends about about him and shows pictures and all this stuff so that her friends are giving us gifts. And it's just like, we don't even have room enough for like these things. And so sometimes we get, we get gifts that are kind of like, what, what in the world am I going to do with this? And so we, his name's Noah, so you don't have any idea how many Noah's Ark things that we have given to us. <laughs> we have the stupidest Noah Ark, Noah's Ark thing that we have given to us are these like little wooden pieces. 
And the boat is like, it's like a see-through boat. You'd almost like hang it on the wall, but you would never hang it on the wall. And so, so the, these little wooden pieces of, of elephants and alligators and, and all these things. And, and so we just have them in Noah's toy box, and he pulls them out every once in a while. And, and um, so he, you know, Emily's teaching him, well, this is an elephant, and this is an alligator, and this is whatever it is. And so, but there's also a little Noah and a little Noah's wife. And so she's going through, and, and so she's taught him these things. Well, the other day, Noah has these toys out, and he has the Noah figure, and he's walking around, and, and it, was, it took us just a little bit to understand this when, when we actually heard him say this. He was like, he was walking around, and he's at the point where, he's, where he can start asking questions and formulate uh, some short sentences. And he goes, where's my wife? Where, where's, where's my wife? And he's just like, he's like looking under the couch, where's my wife? And he has Noah. And it's just like, excuse me? <laughs> I have no idea where your wife is. But that's the innocence of a child. And those, those two things, being shrewd and being innocent, are just polar opposites. They, they're as completely opposite as, as, you can, as you can get. But Jesus is talking to missionaries. Okay? He's talking to people just like us who have learned enough to tell others about what we've learned. And he sends them out, and he said, I want you to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And so that, my friends, that's an ethical dilemma. (laughs) That, forget euthanasia, forget abortion, forget everything else that we've talked about and will talk about. We have to figure out how to be godly Christians in an ungodly world. We have to figure out how to make money to pay our mortgage statement and all our bills and to raise a godly family and to supply for our needs and to take care of other people's needs, right? That's what we're called to do. And so I've run into a lot of people that in my Christian life, and there's, everybody has a different personality. But there, there's this, there's a large majority of Christians, I think, that got the innocent part down and don't have the shrewdness part down. And if you don't have the shrewdness part down, you're going to get into trouble in life. Because people who aren't Christians are great businessmen, great saleswomen. They will sell you stuff. They will, they will take your money. They will do, we live in a world that is out to get us. Spiritually, yes. But financially, yeah. Emotionally, yeah. So we have to be shrewd enough to, to live a godly life, taking care of ourselves, taking care of our families, and taking care of those that God brings into our lives. And if we're not responsible with the things that God gives us, then, then we won't be able to take care of the people that come into our life that need our help, that need our help emotionally, with encouragement, 
need our help financially, need our help spiritually. And so hopefully you guys will follow me through this. Let's look. I want to talk to you guys about being trustworthy. Let's look at Luke chapter 16. You guys know um, you guys know this parable. I'm not going to read the parable portion of it. I'm going to start Luke 16, verse 8. This parable is about um, the shrewd manager. And he was commended for his shrewdness. He was going to get fired. And so what he did was he took all of his master's accounts, brought the people in, and basically halved these accounts. Hey, you owe me, you owe me uh, $1,000. Or you owe my master $1,000. Quick, make it $500. Okay, you, you owe $1,000. Well, quick, make it $800. And so he, he, he forgave debts that were owed to his master because he knew he was going to get fired. Well, then verse 8, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Ouch. That's saying that the people of this world are a little bit more shrewd than we are. And I think we could, we could talk about that in the, in the line of they're a little bit more smart. They're a little bit more wise with, let's say, finances. Let's say relationships. They just are looking out for themselves a little bit and looking out for the best interest of their family. And I know I'm, I'm walking a line here, and I hope you guys are going to understand this. And if I, if I do say something that makes you think, makes you have a question, then talk to me afterwards, and, and, and we can discuss it, because I'm, I'm walking a line here. Um, but I hope you guys will follow me and, and see my heart in it. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We have to find the balance of acting shrewdly while we maintain our honesty. Because at the basis of this talk, honesty is really the main ethical issue. How honest can we be but still be successful? I'm tired of Christians barely getting by. I'm tired of Christians moping around like, well, God's just going to take care of me. It's, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing too well, but, but I trust God, and God's going to come through for me. You know what? God's given us, He came to give us life, and life abundantly. But abundant life takes work. And somehow in this whole missionary concept of especially people our age that we want to go on missions, we want to give a portion of our next couple years of life maybe to going on the field or someplace doing missions or, or working for a nonprofit organization and, and scraping by 
while our non-Christian friends are going to Harvard and Yale and becoming the elite of the elite across the land. And I think it is our duty to act shrewdly in everything that we do. Yes, maintaining our honesty, but we should be the top of the class. We should be the business owners. We should be the ones with the greatest families. We should be the ones that, yeah, we can go on missions, but we'll also give thousands of dollars to missions. Why not? I don't, I don't want this generation to grow up and be 40 or 50 years old and broke. Uh, because I, don't, I think that shames the name of God and who he is in our life. Because he's, he's created us. We're made in his, in his image. He's brilliant, <laughs> to say the least. And so we need, we need to develop our minds. We need to work on who we are so that, so that when we walk out of the, the walls of a church, that we walk out in confidence knowing, yeah, maybe I'm not the manager right now, but I will be. Maybe I'm not the owner right now, but I will be. Maybe I don't have money saved up, but I will. And walking those steps so that it's not non-Christians that are running this world politically, but it's us because we have the degrees and because we have the knowledge and because we have the connections. It says use your worldly wealth to gain friends. There are politicians that work every day, that dream every night about what connection they can make to get them to the next level. There's a lot of people that desire to be congressmen or senators or, or even the president of the United States. That takes connections. And it takes work to make those connections. Um, I hope I can get through this. When, when I get... When I get Passionate. Okay, this is this is kind of a uh, a look into my um, my nightstand. This is the, this is generally sitting on the table, um, right right next to my bed, and I do this because I because I want to I want to teach you guys a lesson here that it it was taught to be taught to me, but not this practically. I don't think um, these these are books that. I'm reading right now. I, I actually just finished this one. This is The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, <laughs> you guys laugh. You guys think all I do is read the Bible. <laughs> we need to read books. We need to read books more than the smart people of this world are reading books. We need to read books like we're going to Yale and Harvard and getting scholarships to do so. Right? We... The secret to reading books is to not read one book at a time. Because you will bore yourself. Now, maybe, maybe some of you guys can sit down and read books just in the span of a couple hours. But for me, there's some days that I really don't feel like reading the Bible. <laughs> maybe not for you guys. You guys are like, I, I read it every day. No, let's be honest, okay? Can we be honest? We're talking about ethics. We're talking about honesty. So I'm going to be honest, okay? There's days I don't feel like reading the Bible. I might be tired, or I, be, I might be mad at God, or, or might be mad at another person, and I don't feel like reading the Bible, right? You guys have those days? Okay? And then maybe you're reading another book, and there's days that you're just like, this book is boring me to death. So what happens? We buy books, and then we read them like the first three chapters, you know, the majority of books never get read all the way through. It's generally the first, second, or third chapter in, when, in which people stop reading. You know why? It's because 
books aren't going to pertain to every day of your life. There's not one book that's going to pertain to every day of your life besides the Bible. But there's days of your life that the last book you want to pick up is the Bible, right? Because of sin issues, because of relational issues, because of it's snowing in April. (laughs) Okay? Okay? So, but in order to keep developing your mind, the difference between who you are today and who you will be five years from now is determined by the books you read and the people you meet. The difference between who you are today and who you will be five years from now is determined by the books you read and the people you meet. Now, if you buy a book every three months and read the first chapter of that book, you've done nothing for yourself. But if you buy a book every three months and read the first couple of chapters until you get to a day where it's like, I don't really feel like reading that. If you have another stack of books, if you have a stack of books on your nightstand, with, and there's another book there that you say, you know what, I'll read that one instead, then all of a sudden you're still you're training your mind. Aaron, Aaron gave a stat, uh, I guess it's been a couple months now, at the mill. He said, he said basically, if... If you read 12 books a year, that puts you in the top 3% or top 1%. I'll have to go back and check that. 12 books a year. 12 books a year, people. You guys can do that. That's a book a month. Okay? My mentor reads a book a week. He's 86 years old. He's read a book a week since he was our age. A book a week. He's one of the busiest men I've ever met in my life. Okay? My aim is to get through a book every two weeks. Do I do that all the time? No, and I'm not going to hold myself to, I've got to finish this book, I've got to finish this book, because I want to enjoy reading so that I will continue to read, right? So uh, I, hope, I hope you guys realize I'm giving you practical advice. You guys came to get spiritual advice, and I'm giving you practical advice right now. But this, this is a broad spectrum of, of books, and it'll, it'll help you if you guys follow this. I truly believe that you guys will start reading between 12 and 24 books a year, okay? Bible. Obviously, you're going to read the Bible, and obviously I'm going to tell you, stand up here and tell you to read the Bible. Count of Monte Cristo, I told you I just finished that. That's a classic, okay? If you're going to college, they're going to make you read books like this. They are not going to make you read books like this just to take tests and then to never read them again. You should read classics throughout so that you can have things to talk about. This book will teach you things that going to Sunday school, it'll never teach you. It'll teach you verbal skills, it'll teach you language, it'll teach you history. And then when you get into a conversation with adults, <laughs> somebody will bring something up and you'll be like, yeah, when I was reading Count of Monte Cristo, guess what? You just, you just made for yourself a connection with somebody who's older and wiser and, and wealthier than you are. And they think you're brilliant because you read Count of Monte Cristo and they never did. Right? Okay. Freak, Freakonomics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit out of this. Who's heard of Freakonomics? Okay. Who's read Freakonomics? All right. We hear about a lot of books. We read very few of them. Right? This is, this is a good book. I'm uh, a little bit, I'm about halfway through. I'm going to read a little bit earlier than, but um, it's, it's a business book. Okay? This this book is well written, and, and some days I feel like, when I go to bed, I feel like, 
Okay, I'll read Freakonomics tonight as opposed to Count of Monte Cristo. This is a beat up old book. It's Reese Howell's Intercessor. This is biography. You guys need to be reading autobiographies and biographies of great men and women who have lived not in this time period. Okay? This, this book teaches you about how to pray and what it means to be an intercessor. There's not anybody standing in this church that will be able to stand up in a pulpit and tell you what this book tells you. Because this man lived a life totally different. He lived in Wales in the, in the early 1900s. He saw revival. He saw, he saw to the point that he was praying for worldly events, and there's documentation that, that his prayers and the prayers that he led actually changed worldly events. Okay, We're talking about wars and different, different battles and different things like that. So all you guys, Air Force cadets, <laughs> how would you like your prayers to really affect what's going on in Iraq? Army guys, how would you like that? This teaches you how to do it because somebody else that's just like you and I prayed and it changed, changed the world. We, we talk about being world changers and then we never spend any time learning what it takes to be a world changer, right? Okay, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here too. Okay, that's, When I get passionate, I, I'm speaking to myself. So I'm, I'm yelling at you guys and I'm really yelling at myself. Okay, uh, this is Total Money Makeover, Dave Ramsey. He's a finance guy, he's on the radio. That... That gives you a bunch of different categories, okay? Biography, business, classic, Bible, finance. Shrewdness, you have to, if you're going to be shrewd, you have to understand finances better than the world understands finances. Because when you, when you slide your debit card or your credit card, you have, to, you have to be wise enough to know, okay, I'm losing money here. <laughs> I didn't give somebody money physically, but... I now have less money than I did two seconds ago. Christians are terrible at finances. And it stops right now. My dad, my mom, not the greatest at finances. It stops with me. Because I'm going to be great with finances. The Bible says a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's a lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Because I know how much money it costs to have little kids. <laughs> so I'm, I'm putting money into making them grow and have clothes and food and all, all that stuff, right? But that means I need to have enough money to make it for their children to have money left by me. How amazing would that be? That's what we need to do. We need to start godly heritages now. We need to stop the patterns that have ruled our, our families for generations and change that right now. Now, I, I brought this headlamp. Um, this is my friend. <laughs> um, you, guys, you guys have headlamps, and you guys go like spelunking and, and snowshoeing at night and all those crazy things that um, I used to do before um, I became a dad. And I have to go home and tuck kids into bed and spend time with my wife. This is for um, my wife. Uh, she gets in bed and, and goes to sleep. And, and I get in bed and read. <laughs> and so this is so that I don't have a lamp on or the, or the overhead light switch on. And so I, I just put this on. I'm a total geek. And I put this on and tilt it down. And this makes me smarter. <laughs> right? Because, because I have this, uh, 
follow me. I'm giving you guys practical, basic, elementary truths, right? Hope you guys don't feel like I'm talking down to you, but I'm sharing and I'm speaking. I'm, I'm so passionate about this, okay? And this is part, this is part of my life here. I just, I just let you guys into my bedroom, and, I, and you guys are like, what's over here? Okay, so that, that, that headlamp makes me smarter because it makes me stay up if it's just 15 minutes. I'm turning pages, I'm reading words, my mind is comprehending as I'm falling asleep. There's a lot of people in this world, a lot of Christians, fall asleep watching television. Mind-numbing, brain-numbing, they, they're not getting any smarter, Right? This will make you smarter in many different aspects of life. It'll make you stronger spiritually. And so we need to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That's hard. That's a hard balance. But if we're still in Luke 16, let's read verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Okay, Okay, I'm starting to get it now. The wealth of this world, that's not true riches. That's just, that's just an economic, physical piece. You know, money has changed over the centuries. There's, you know, we haven't used the American dollar for all of the ages. No, money is just something that represents things to be bought and sold. It, it's not even on the gold standard anymore. So... Really, it's untrue riches. When we have a pocket full of cash, it's worldly wealth. It's untrue riches. There is no gold standard to it. So that tells me if that's untrue, then there has to be true riches, and 16.11 says that. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? True riches. Let's talk about a few true riches. Anybody tell me what time it is? For some reason, they put a black clock there. 10.24? Okay. Got 20 minutes to talk about true riches. Okay. There, I'm going to talk about four points under this. I think you guys might have them. Uh, you guys don't have them in your notes. So write them down. Redemption and forgiveness. Christ in you your needs and theirs, and strengthened with power. Those are going to be the four points I'm going to talk about. Redemption and forgiveness. Christ in you. Your needs and theirs, and strengthened with power. Okay, so we just read 1611, which is this. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I want to be trusted with true riches. I want, I want when God's eyes range to and fro across this earth, I want him to look at my life and say, Evan's been trustworthy in things that eternally don't even matter. Because how many of you guys know broke Christians are getting into heaven? This has nothing to do with my eternal salvation, right? This has nothing to do with my eternal salvation. So why should I waste time at night when I'm tired as anything and I still choose to read, right? 
Because if I can be trustworthy with worldly wealth, then God will trust, will trust me with true riches. So I want my finances to line up so that I can be trusted with true riches. Now, the, the first is a, is a very basic and elementary um, point of, of the riches of God, God's riches. Let's go to Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So I think, I think the first point in understanding the true riches, in understanding heaven, heaven's riches, what God really values is redemption and forgiveness. And when we live our lives understanding that we've been redeemed, that we've been forgiven, we, some, some of us that's happened a long, long time ago. And we forget about it because we've lived so much of our life redeemed and forgiven. But what is amazing is when you see somebody who's lived their whole life struggling through life, and then you tell them about the message of Christ, and they get saved, they go crazy. They go crazy. You go on missions, all of you guys should go on missions, and all of you guys should make it your aim to at least get one person saved throughout your life. Please, do it. Get it. Talk to at least one person and get them saved. That's a, that's a small goal. That's, that's, reading, that's reading one book a year. Okay, You guys can do that. When you go on missions and you, and you tell somebody about Jesus Christ and they understand it for the first time, they act like you just shoved them out of the way of an oncoming bus. They go absolutely crazy. They, I remember when I was, when I was little, I got, I got saved when I was five years old, and, and I don't even know how it came up, but I remember, I remember exactly where I was and my mom praying the prayer with me and, and telling me what that meant, I bolted upstairs. I ran upstairs, and I told my sister, my older sister, I was I just got saved. I don't know what I said. I was five years old. probably wasn't saying anything, anything that you, you would be able to understand, but I know my sister ran down and prayed with my mom. Our joy over our redemption and our forgiveness is contagious. And when you see... When you see people get saved that really truly understand what just happened to them, they will run around the church building. They don't care what they're wearing or who sees them or, or what they're saying or what they sound like. They know that something spiritual has just intersected with something physical and it's changed their destiny. So that, that's true riches. That's true riches. Forget forget. If that happened to somebody, even in Africa, where I've been, if, if they got saved and there was a $100 American bill standing on the ground, they, they would care less. It would be as, as dirt and stones to them at that moment, right? Because redemption and forgiveness has value. It has tr it's true riches. And if we can be trustworthy with worldly wealth, then God says that we will be trusted with, with true riches. You guys following me here? 
So maybe a key to salvation, a key to leading others to Christ, is getting our own life right. You understand that? The next one, Christ in you. Colossians 1.27 To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us. The mystery of the gospel. The hope of glory. So true riches is what God gives to us. He deposits himself into us. Into us. Christ in us. True riches. Have you guys ever heard of Obed-Edom? Yes? Okay, you guys know, you guys know the story of Obed-Edom. It's, if any if any of you guys want to read read about him um, later on, it's First Chronicles chapters thirteen through fifteen. It's not his story all the way through there, but he's just mentioned there um, throughout. the <clears throat> The ark of the Lord had been stolen, and they were bringing the ark of the Lord back. David was king of Israel, and they're bringing it back to bring it to Jerusalem. But on the way, bringing it back, they didn't obey the Levitical laws. And so they're bringing it back on this cart, which they weren't supposed to do. The priests were supposed to carry it with poles. Now, this is, this is a story in the midst of this, and, and it's hard to give you all the context that you need. You can't touch the Ark of the Lord. <laughs> you touch it, you die. If we're all Jewish boys and girls, we know these things. We're Americans, and we've lost a lot of the context of, of what Jews understand the Old Testament to be. So you can't touch the Ark of the Lord. That's the very presence of God which had been stolen from the Israelites. They are now getting it back, but they have to transport it back into the city. They do it the wrong way. It's on a, it's on a cart being pulled by oxen. It goes over a rock or into a hole or something, and the cart is about to tip over. And one of the guys who's helping reaches out and touches the Ark to steady it, does what any of us would do, especially not understanding the whole context of this, he's trying to help, dies instantly. Dies. So David is like, oh God. And he stops there, and Obed-Edom's house is just up on the hill. And, and for however they knew people back then, maybe he, maybe he was you know, somebody that... that they knew pretty well and he just lived outside of the town or, or something. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But David decides, we're going to leave the ark with him. Because we can't leave it out in the open. The Philistines will just come and steal it again. But we can't really keep carrying it because the cart system is not working. And if we touch it, then we'll die. So let's just bring it to this guy's house. So they bring it to this guy's house and for three months it's left. The ark of the Lord is left in the house of Obed-Edom. What happens to Obed-Edom and his family? Totally blessed. It says in all that they had, they were blessed. For three months, the blessing of the Lord came upon the life of Obed-Edom. Totally blessed. Changed his life. Changed his family. Changed his finances. His land was blessed. His, his business was blessed. His family, his children, his grandchildren, blessed. Because the ark of the Lord has stopped there and he's welcomed it into his house. 
David, King David hears about this. <laughs> and he says, three months go by. I don't think that David thought about the Ark of the Lord every day for three months. He hears the house of Obed-Edom is being extremely blessed. I don't know what that looks like, but I have, I have a video called Transformations, and it's about cities that have been radically changed because, because of missionary work and local, local people rising up in their own city. And, and there's a city, I think it's in Guatemala, where, where they used to have, the, their jail was overflowing, and the bars were basically the only business in town, and, and these men were getting drunk, and, and the city was totally poor. Well, Christ comes to town, <laughs> changes everything. I can't remember exactly how it was, if it was a missionary or if it was a local pastor or something. Well, I've seen on video, and I have it at my house, that the city changes and turns towards the Lord. The presence of the Lord comes and rests on the city, and their, their land is totally blessed. Carrots. They, there's a picture of a kid holding up a carrot that's as big as my forearm. A carrot. Okay? We have like little carrots that we feed to Noah. Nothing. Like, n- nothing compared to this carrot. I was like, bring me there. I need, to see, I, ne- I need to see this carrot. We're talking about, like, tomatoes that are massive tomatoes. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is there. Because they've stopped going to the bars, and they're going to church. The jail is totally empty, and they filled the street as the video ends, and they all are singing praises to the Lord. The whole town. So that, that same thing is happening to Obed-Edom. I can just imagine... He's, he's a farmer, and all of a sudden he's pulling carrots out of the ground that are as big as his forearm, right? So David hears about it, and he's like, I need to get the Ark of the Lord back into my town. I need to get it back into this city. I need to get it back into the temple of the Lord. So he's the king. Obed-Edom can't do anything. I'm sure Obed-Edom was like, hey, uh, uh, whenever you get around to it, uh, you know, David's like, well, okay, I'm coming this day. There's nothing Obed-Edom could do. So David comes takes the ark and he brings it up and they sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. They do it the right way. They bring it all the way into the city. Okay? You read through in the boring parts of First Chronicles where it's just listing of names and, and things that you just are like, you're like reading through the Bible and you just, you just are like, sweet, you know? That, that sort of section, okay? That sort of section. The Bible is relevant in every jot and tittle, it says. Okay? It tells us this. Not only that Obed-Edom's house was blessed and all that he had, but he went on to become a worshiper in the temple. He followed the ark of the Lord, moved, <laughs> stopped. It didn't matter what he did. didn't matter the business, the success, the prosperity. He could have been there and probably lived off the blessing of his house for years. He decides to follow the ark of the Lord, and what does he do? He becomes a harp player in the temple. Why? Because he understood, he understood that it wasn't about him, it wasn't about prosperity, it wasn't about worldly wealth, but there was something about true riches that he couldn't, he would leave the $100 bill laying there because he understood eternity, and it changed him. And so he came, and he became a harp player. And when he wasn't playing the harp, it says that he was a doorkeeper for the ark. A doorkeeper for the ark. I think it was him that David wrote Psalm 84 about. Psalm 84.10 says, 
Better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's, that's a king's words. We, we skip through the Psalms and we forget the context. We read through First Chronicles and we forget the details. A king said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. A king could do anything he pleased. And David, I believe, saw the heart of Obed-Edom, saw the blessing of Obed-Edom, and saw the decision of Obed-Edom. And he said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Okay, how much time do I have left? 10.38? Okay, I think we got time. This next point is your needs and theirs. How many of you guys want all of your needs taken care of? To the point that you can... That's 20% of you. Great. All right. I would add to that, so I would be included in that percentage. I want my needs to be taken care of, but I don't want my needs to be barely taken care of. I don't want, I don't want to be a Christian that like just gets by and then, and then uses, uses like these things that happen as like, oh yeah, the Lord totally blessed me and... and and I, I got this job, and it just happened, and, so, and this bill was due two weeks later, and so I just got it. Like, no. I don't, I don't want to be that way. I want to be the person that people are like, 24-7's like, let's invite Evan to the missions benefit dinner, to the, <laughs> to the auction, <laughs> you know? And I want to walk away with, like, a foosball table that I'll never, that I'll never use and pay, like, $20,000 for it, you know? Uh, why not? Why not? Why not me? I think that's a question that we need to ask every once in a while. Why not me? Because I'm a Christian? Is that how we answer that question the majority of the time? Well, why not me? Oh, because I'm a Christian. Oh, because I'm, I'm honest. And I'm innocent. And, and I, own, I do own a business, but it's just like, yeah, I, but it's, I'm really doing it for the Lord. Give me a break. Really, let's leave an inheritance for our children's children. Let's be shrewd with worldly wealth so that we can be trusted with true riches. And so I want to be the person that they send support letters to. And that I don't send them $10 checks or $25 checks, but I, but I call them up and I, okay, it says, you, it says you need $2,500 to go on this trip. How much have you raised? Well, it's, it's, I, I've just raised 250 Well, Okay, well... I'll send you a check for the rest. Oh, oh, that's great. Because then that person can go to the car washes and help other people's needs. And that person doesn't have to get to the end and be clamoring for the money that's just coming into the team. No, they're totally taken care of. And they can keep fundraising and get over 100%. Okay? Let's look at Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's read this word for word. 
and my God will meet all your needs. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say will barely meet all your needs. It says my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, which just the last point, we made a point that Christ is now in us. And so the glorious riches in Christ Jesus are now in us. Do you guys get that? The glorious riches which can meet all of our needs through God in Christ Jesus is in us. So all of our needs have the potential to be met. But this is talking about true riches. And way back when we started, it's Jesus said, and if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You guys get it? That's it's complicated. Okay? I shared an office with Joe and made me smarter. I read books instead of watch TV. So I'm understanding, but I still, you know, maybe I say things. In Christ Jesus, Christ in us is the mystery of the gospel. It's the hope of glory. And it said, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Our needs can be met as we allow Christ to dwell in us, as we get the things in our life ordered correctly so that we can be trusted with true riches. The woman with the issue of blood, remember that passage? There was a crowd of people around Jesus. And he stopped and he said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, "Uh, Jesus... (laughs) If you've not noticed, there's a crowd. We're all like bumping into each other. We're all trying to get to this thing that you're going to perform another miracle. And so everybody wants to see. And so, so there's people bumping into you. And so uh, it could have been any of us that touched you. He said, no, who touched me? And the woman came forward who had got healed of an issue that had been dealt, she'd been dealing with for years. Why? Because she pressed in. There's so many of us that are around Jesus all the time. Right? Small group, Sunday school, church, everything else that we do. Christian home, Christian school, Christian internship. We're around Jesus all the time. And Jesus is doing amazing things. He's, he's doing miracles. He's, he's getting people saved. He's taking us on mission trips. It's, it's just an amazing Christian life, right? We're bumping into Jesus all the time. It takes pressing into Jesus, taking hold of his garment to be healed. The issues that we have, we will always have until we press in. Jesus doesn't heal people who bump into him. He told the two blind men, he said, according to your faith, so be it. And they were healed. It took a lot of guts for a woman who was an outcast in that society to first of all get into the crowd, but then say, I don't want to just be a part of the crowd. I want to touch Jesus. I want to touch him. That's the person I want to be. I don't want to bump into him during, during sermons and Sunday school and, and different things. I want to take hold of what he has. Because in that, he can supply my need so that, so that, in, that, so that in that, that woman who was healed can enter back into society and prepare meals and take care of children, and take care of her grandchildren. Do you understand? She was, she was brought back into the context of worldly things 
because she understood, I need to press in. And I need Jesus to meet my needs, which he promises that he can. Which I have faith to believe that he can. And then once he heals our needs, once he takes care of our infirmities, once he takes care of us, then we can do things for other people. But if we have issues that we just allow because we're, we're good people, we're bumping into Jesus, we're doing good things, going on missions, I'm reading books. You understand? We're bumping into him all the time. But we need to press in so that our needs are taken care of. So that we have something to give to others. Right? The last thing. Strengthened with power. Now, 90% of you guys can stop listening at this point. I'm t- this last point is for people who really want this. And I guarantee you, there's not more than 10% of the people in this room that really want this. There's just not. Percentages, percentages played out in previous generations and now in ours. We don't really, we, we want to get saved. We want, we want Christ in us. But we don't, we don't really want this point. Strengthen with power. Ephesians 3.16 says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, we've already got the fact that Christ is in us. We've already got the fact that he can take care of our needs so that we can take care of other needs. We've already been redeemed. We've already been forgiven. We understand that. We're working on the worldly wealth aspect of it and being honest and being as shrewd as snakes but as innocent as doves. But then this last point, just for maybe less than 10% of you guys who really want to do, do things, really want to live your life for Christ, really want to see Christ move inside of you. Because, because for a lot of us, if we're the, if we're the woman with the issue of blood, if we reach in, if we press in and get healed, that's great. And then that's the end of the story. Right? Because our needs are taken care of. Okay, we're fine. We're fine. I want to be strengthened with power. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He gives us power. He created the universe. He threw the stars into place. He made things like a rhinoceros and a giraffe out of nothing. Out of nothing. Our scientists aren't even close to comprehending the whole of creation. Right? That's power. That's power. I want to see power to do miracles. I want to have power to see lives changed. And I want to have power and belief and faith and trust to shake nations. Because, because I'm 29 and, and I'm sharing with Sunday school. I want, I want your guys' lives to be ripple effects. I want, I want to share with you guys in individual conversations. I want you to encourage me. I want me to encourage you. And, and I want all of us to, when we're 80 years old, still be doing stuff. Shaking nations, changing the destiny of people's lives. But we can't do it. I'm a, I'm a man. 
I can't do, I can't do anything apart from Christ, is what it says. But I have to be connected to that vine, and in that vine is all I need for life and godliness. Everything I need. And if, and if he can be, meet my needs, and then I can meet other people's needs, then it doesn't stop there because, because it tells us that I can be strengthened with power through the Spirit inside of me, which is Christ in me. And that power can shake nations. Because going back to Luke, and I close, Luke 16.11 says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? But it says in verse 10, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So it's the little that's put in front of us that gets us to one day down the road to our hopes and dreams and desires of being, being used greatly by the, by the Lord. If we can be trustworthy now, if we can be honest now, if we can de- be developing our mind now, if we can be using our finances well now, then, oh, the day. <laughs> 20 years from now, when 24-7 is raising a million dollars in a missions benefit dinner. Right? Because all of us are have been using our worldly wealth and gaining true riches and a true understanding and being as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Let's pray. God, I love you. I praise you. I don't think I fully understand this yet, God, but that's what I want. It's what I want for my life. I want it for their lives. So God, I ask that you would continue to unlock these scriptures to allow us to understand you, that you would give us revelational knowledge of your word and of your will for our lives. God, allow us to be like Obed-Edom, that if we got just three months of understanding truly, really in touch with your presence, that we would leave it all behind to go be a doorkeeper in the house of our God. You are great, and we are small. We give you our lives, we give you our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.